Welcome to the Emblem Support Podcast. Wearing the Mask of the Flame Emperor, it's me, Ordo. And wearing the Mask of the Death Knight, it's Cardwiz. Build an army. Trust no one, except for us. This is the Emblem Support Podcast. And my dear friend Ordo, it has been one year and a couple of weeks, but we're not counting that. It's been one year since the release of the greatest game ever is by my exaggerations fire emblem three houses came out a little over a year ago and it's time to celebrate and praise all that game and all of its glory and we'll probably talk about a few of its flaws but for now there are other games to talk about before we get onto that my good friend ordo what have you been playing recently i have completed dragon quest s or dragon quest 11s defensive edition whatever I completed every single quest that was listed in the quest log, plus, like, most of the bonus stuff. It's probably the closest to 100%ing an RPG I have done in a long, long time. I played the base version of that game, and I did not complete that, and I still had, like, 60 or something hours in that game. I, I cannot imagine how much time went into basically 100%ing the S version of it, with all those extra dungeons and the 2D stuff. It took me. It took me a long time. Uh, basically, well, what I had done is I was just like, man, I can't defeat the final boss. So, I know there's some extra stuff I can do out there. So I started doing some of the extra missions. And I was just like, well, I have a whole quest list. So I could do an extra mission here and do an extra mission there. And next thing I knew, I had completed uh, the entire quest list. Now I think there is <laughs> like a couple of um, quests that aren't listed in the quest list that I haven't completed. But to go back and do them was just like, eh. It doesn't matter. It doesn't give me any reward that, you know, I can't, that, that's going to be useful to me. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother with that. Did you complete most of these quests just for completionist sake? Or did you find that these quests had pretty good stories and good characters and good interactions with them? Yeah, bits and pieces. A lot of, a lot of it was just basically like, oh, go find this item for me. Or, oh, go defeat this person or go find this thing at the library. And I was just like, well, I need all this experience so I can beat the final boss. But then it turns out, well, I may have overleveled. And I, <laughs> this is just a slight spoiler from the final boss, but, um, you have an item that can dispel his barrier. And I had that item the entire time and didn't realize I was supposed to use it. <laughs> so, so I actually could have beaten the final boss way sooner than I did. Not to say he still wasn't a challenge, but I almost mitigated anything I actually needed to do. Oh, I love it when that sort of things happens. I've had so many battles where I, you're where the game is basically telling you, you have this, use this special skill or guard at this specific time. And I too busy clicking the a button and just scroll past it most of the time. But, uh, glad to hear I'm not the only one who does that. Yeah. It's, it's fairly easy to do. I played that game when it came out on PS4 and I probably got two-thirds of the way through it. I probably finished the Act 2 boss and then just put the game down because I didn't like the direction the story was heading. But I remember really enjoying... I love the old-school battle system. And there were some quests and character moments that I genuinely loved. I remember the moment where your blue-haired thief friend, you had a moment with his family and sort of his origin, his big character-defining moment of why he's here at that point. I remember that was a great story. 
I remember there was a mermaid side quest that almost made me cry. It might have made me cry, but I'm not going to admit to that right now. Oh, I did cry. I cried at least, I, I've probably said it before on the podcast too, I've, I cried at least three or four times playing this game. That game was recently announced that it, it is, the S version is not just going to be Switch exclusive anymore. It's coming to the Xbox, PS4, and I think it might also be coming to PC. Would you recommend that to people who played the original version? Absolutely, just for the music alone. I am, I'm a huge music snub, and I've listened to the original music track for this game, and I'm gonna to have to raise the, uh, gonna to have to raise the, uh, clean to explicit level for this, uh, episode, but the music just sounds like shit in the original. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like the lowest quality MIDI garbage tuned because, oh boy, let me, let me put it this way. Look up a YouTube video called Why the Music is Bad in Dragon Quest XI. I believe it's done by Stop Skeletons from Fighting, and he goes into the whole ordeal behind the composer. But it makes the music sound like it's from, like, a Nintendo or something sometimes. No. No. <laughs> it is so much worse than that. Golden Sun for the Game Boy Advance has better music than this, and that's not a slam on Golden Sun because Golden Sun's fantastic. But yeah, um, currently right now on the Xbox, I don't know about the PlayStation, but on the Xbox, the special demo that was on the Switch is actually on there, and that demo is roughly 10 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. And your demo progress will transfer over to the saved game, too, so it's worth trying out. I'll definitely consider that once I'm sort of just dry on RPGs, but I did just play a game myself with... Tremendous RPG roots, a game known as Paper Mario Origami King. Oh, God. Yes, for the longest time, I was really excited about this from the second it was announced. I didn't pre-order, but basically I I might as well have pre-ordered because I got it the very day it came out. Uh, I was so excited hearing all of the whispers and the rumors of like, they're getting back to their roots. It's going to be like Thousand Year Door. Oh, I was so hyped and so hyped, and I then I played the game, and dear lord, that game's not an RPG. That If you've seen any of the footage, you see that, oh, there's like a weird puzzle battle system. It, it should just be a puzzle system. The battle part of it is garbage and is holding the game back. Paper Mario Origami King is an amazing adventure at platformer-ish puzzle game. It For like an adventure puzzle game, I give that game a 10 out of 10. I absolutely loved the, the that puzzle system. I never got tired of trying to find the solutions because after like that first hour or two of game where it's just like, oh, these are baby puzzles. I hope this game starts getting harder. Oh, it actually did start getting harder. I ha I'm occasionally failing these puzzles. And I was like that throughout the entire game. And the thing with that game is, if you get the puzzle right, you do 1.5 times damage. And then the battle system comes into play. The battle system sucks. It's just, it's Paper Mario in that you just push the button in time to get maximum damage. But at that point, once you've completed the puzzle, I wish it was just like, you've completed the puzzle, these enemies are just defeated. But instead of that, you have to be spending money to get better items so that you are still beating them in one shot. 
because if you're not being in one shot, you're just taking damage and you have to do another round of puzzles all over again. And while I love the puzzles, if I complete the puzzle, I just want to, I want that to just to be the automatic win button because otherwise it's just like I'm wasting time pushing buttons and using resources that shouldn't be resources in this game. Again, I love this game. I recommend it if you love adventure or puzzle games. If you think this is an RPG, you're going to hate this thing. But overall, I highly recommend Paper Mario Origami King. You know, before we go into a normal Fire Emblem chat, I, I hate every decision that the, that the game's producer, not the game's director, but the game producer, Tanabe's made ever since Super Paper Mario. Yeah, I, I've hate, hated the weird decisions they made with the character designs. Oh, I, yeah. Did, did you see that interview that he came out with? I did, and it just made me really depressed because it was like, you're you're going against the things I loved about Thousand Year Door and what made Thousand Year Door one of the all-time great games. Basically, what, what the producer, Tanabe, said is like, oh, uh, creating new Mario characters is no longer possible. And this stems all the way back from um, Sticker Star, where, they bas- where basically I think Miyamoto didn't like a thing and said, well, why don't you just do this? And basically he took that to like the super very extreme and I could go on a really bad rant about it, but I don't want to come off as being that <laughs> no games were good after Thousand Year Door. I just, I don't want to come off like that, but I did really like the Thousand Year Door. Super, super Paper Mario wasn't bad, but the problem with that is I felt like you got to a point where you got to, where you got other party members in your party that like... The only character that could turn in between the two dimensions was Mario, so why would you play as anybody else? Yep, the Super Paper Mario is a game I really need to go back and play again. I haven't played that one since it first came out. I remember enjoying it, but just being really disappointed that it wasn't an RPG. But it seemed like... I remember it being a good platformer. I remember beating the game. I just remember next to nothing about it, because it's been forever, because that was a Wii game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I rented it and I had a decent time with it, but I was just like, mm, it's it's not really my thing. I can't wait till they go back to like an RPG. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can have RPG game as long as you have card things you use, and it's really, really stupid. Oh dear lord, sticker star and color splash were so bad. But I, I'm just glad Origami King is. I don't know if it's a step in the right direction, but it's not a step in the garbage direction. So, And on the bright side, you know, it's Intelligent Systems that is working on this, so hopefully we can get them back on Fire Emblem, because what we're about to talk about was mostly done by Koei Tecmo. Yes, I we still don't have really any concrete news on what the next Fire Emblem is going to be, because we know one's going to come, I hope, pray, for now. We've got three houses, and there's still so much we can talk about with that game. And we will. As you said in the opening card, Wiz, it's been a little more than a year since uh, Three Houses came out, and we're just thinking about, you know, do we still feel the same about this game? Now now that the honeymoon phase is over, um, what do you think? I absolutely still love this game. I love the choices that they made. 
first of all, I love that we they did a time skip and they did it well. I didn't think they they could do that after how they did Awakening of Fates with how they handled time in those games. Like their little pocket dimensions. Not not talking about Fates. Not talking about bad about Fates. I'm not going to talk bad about Fates. Fate, fates can't hurt you here. It can't hurt me here because I have three houses. I have it in my Switch right now. It hasn't left my Switch in over a year. No. And because, actually, mainly because I couldn't get a physical copy on the first day, so I just straight up downloaded it and was just like, yeah, it's been on the front page of my Switch the entire time, like either in the first, second, or first or second slot, depending on if I was playing Tokyo Mirage Sessions. The UPS Ninjas basically delivered mine at like 4.30 in the afternoon, which was, uh, but I was off that day and I was super excited. I was like, oh man, the mail usually comes at right around 12. And I'm just like, okay, checking my phone, looking outside. I got the, I have the door open and I have like a glass, uh, storm door so I can see out of it. And I'm like, it's four o'clock. My package is not here. And it turns out I walk outside and there it is. And it's been, it, it had to be in the sun for, the box itself had to be in the sun for a long time because it was hot when I pulled it out. And I'm like, I did not see a truck. I did not see a person. But my package has been sitting here for a long time and my phone has not gone off. I was, I was mad, but I was happy to. There are a lot of great things about this game. Uh, the, the, I just, that joy I had when first pulling it up on the Switch and playing through that tutorial, meeting these characters for the first time. I, I love these characters. I love the art of these characters. Even like they, they did a time skip and all, almost all of these characters improved in some way in their art. It's, I, I'm just glad they had this art style. It is a beautiful art style. I'm just, I, I'm constantly living in fear with Fire Emblem art styles that they're just going to go back to what they did in Shadow Dragon. We're going to make weird claymation looking guys. I'm, I constantly live in fear that Fire Emblem is going to go in a weird art direction. But thankfully they didn't with Three Houses. It looks good. These characters look good. Do they all look good, Cardwiz? Um, most of them look good. Some of them look better from the pre-time skip. Some of them look better post-time skip. Okay, how about this? Who would you tell me are your three favorite pre-time skip and three post-time skip? Top three, bottom three. Top three. Okay. Um, gosh, you really put me... Really or or put j- me just just post-time skip. Who who got better? Who got worse? With We, we got 25 characters, not counting the Bylots, and their lime green, nothing changes. We got 25 characters who went through a time skip. Who are three who got better, three who got worse? Well, I try to, I try to be fair. I try to spread it out between the three different houses. Um, I did that for this first one, but I did not do it for my bottom three. So my first top one is Dimitri. Such a shift in tone of his character. The eye patch adds a lot. Of course, if you're playing through Edelgard's route, whenever you see Dimitri, he doesn't have the eye patch. But typically, he's got the eye patch. He's got the scowl. His voice is dropped. He'll see you in the eternal flame. And it, Dimitri's post timescape was the turning point for everyone because I actually went back and I watched both trailers uh, before we recorded this. And I was trying to remember how I felt about them. And I remember everyone being like, yeah, Fire Emblem, sure. That looks kind of eh, all right. But when the E3 2019 trailer dropped and you, and you saw Dimitri with his lance in hand, 
He's got an eye patch. His hair's a lot longer. It's a little grungier looking. And he utters his infamous kill every last one of them line. That was like a holy crap moment. And um, I I love his design. Yeah, that's my number one post time skip too. <laughs> <laughs> great minds. It's such a great design and such a step on, on the design because I, I got to be honest, pre-time skip, Dimitri, he just doesn't look good. You and said especially, especially from that opening cutscene that we saw over and over again during all like the hype footage of just like him in that practice Lance fight and just like his hair slinks back. There's sparkles everywhere and his hair looks like that stupid yarn or ramen. It's, it's, it's a bad look for him. I remember you saying he looks like he needs a comb. It does. A lot of these characters pre-time skip really need a comb, but dear Lord, he was in desperate need of a comb, a haircut or something. But it obviously wasn't a haircut, but it's post-time skip. Eye patch or no eye patch, he looks a thousand times better. It's also that armor, too. Just like the black armor, he's got, like, his, his greaves, his gloves or whatever, have sharp points at the end of them. We talked about Fire Emblem Cypher cards, like, a while back. And I forgot to mention this one, but it's Dimitri. He looks like a straight-up Dragon Ball Z character. He's standing there, and he has lightning, like, all around him. He looks amazing. Oh, I could, I could go on about Dimitri's post-time skip design. It's just that good. Well, we both agree that's the number one. Let's see if we agree. What What is your second-best time skip design? The second-best time skip I had, this one comes from the Black Eagles, and I picked Dorothea. Total bombshell with the dress. I I do lament the fact that she loses the hat, but the dress is just fantastic. It's my favorite color, red. Uh, it just, everything goes together really well. It, it is a fantastic dress. It's a fantastic hairstyle. And I got to be honest, it probably would be top three, but dang it, that hat was awesome. She lost the hat. She lost the best part of her pre-time skip outfit. And if her design wasn't so good, she would be bottom three just for the loss of the hat. But it, she looked outstanding. It's a... Great design with the dress and the hair. It's perfect. And sort of like with Dimitri, too, it it fits her as an opera singer because we know that she's been in contact with her opera singer uh, people. And so I don't know if she actually went back to the opera, but she she definitely looks the part of an opera singer. She does have that gloriousness to her, that regalness. For my number two, I went, I stayed in the Blue Lions house, actually, and I went with Annette. Her pre-time skip, I hate those stupid curls, and her hair, the way her eyes are shaped in the pre-time skip, the way she's looking at the screen, it's a little too little kid. It 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 looks like a baby doll. Her pre-time skip design and her post-time skip, she looks like an adult. She's got a killer outfit. The hair is great. Everything about her got better post-time skip. If it wasn't for Dimitri being my top on the Blue Lions, she'd be she'd be a number two for my Blue Lions time skip because she again the glow up was amazing. Her hair's a little bit longer. She looks a little bit more mature. Um, the colors, like the colors on her attire are like just so complimentary to her hair and her eyes. It is absolutely just, it got better. That's what, that's what, that's why it's in the top three list. But what is your number three, top three time skip designs? Well, in keeping with my one per house until we get to the bottom anyways, I actually chose Leone. For the Golden Deers, because I feel like she really changes the most. Um, like her, she like she has one of those side ponytails. Please don't die. Please don't die. She has one of those side ponytails now, 
and she looks more, I guess, battle hardened, if that's a thing. We about to fight. Uh oh. I had Leonie for my worst time skip design. <laughs> oh my god, no! I hate what they did to Leonie in the time skip design. And it's mainly for one huge reason. I'd hate what the art direction did with her face and the direction she's turned. The way she's turned in all of her time skip pictures, in all of her portraits, it's just a little bit off. Her eye, her her right eye is just a little bit too low. Her nose is just a little bit wonky looking. Just like, It is a weird angle to have a face. And that's pretty much the only reason. The outfit is great. I don't mind the the ponytail thing in honor of Geralt. I although I did like her pre time skip hair a little bit more. I just hate the way they angled her face. It is a bad shape. Thank you for listening to the Animal Support Podcast. As always, you can follow me. <laughs> I I don't know. I just like I really liked her outfit. Um, I don't know. I just really like the outfit. Also, she has a she has like um. I think she has one archer style glove too, which is really cool. And another thing about it, it in my first playthrough, I did romance Leone because she was my favorite golden deer character at the time. Her S support portrait is one of the worst. Almost all of them are bad. They're almost, almost all of them are like horribly off model. They really are. But hers is the worst because she doesn't have a nose. I have not seen it. No. Look up her S support cutscene picture. It is awful. It is an alien. Okay, I'm going to look this up right now. We're doing it live. I have it burned into my memory. Just like when I got the S-Sport, it's like, ah, this is Byleth's love in this playthrough. They're going to rule the world and defeat mercenaries together. And just like getting that face is going to be a little disturbing. Okay, I'm pulling... I'm pulling up her her wiki right now. We're going to take... We're going Pull to take up her wiki. This. Look up the Violet Leone escort cutscene picture. It's like she's staring right into the camera. Fist up in the air. She's pumped up. You're going to be best friends forever. It, she doesn't have a nose. It's okay. Just, Here's the escort. Oh, God. She does not have a nose. Exactly. It is an awful... In that... I might be tainted by the S-Support picture, but that is the reason she's my number one on the worst designs. I hate it so much. Yeah, this front-facing design is just not... It's it's not very good, ladies and gentlemen. Ugh. And by the way, I was wrong. She has two gloves. You monster. Everything else except for this S-Support photo is just... You know, it's, it's good to me. But if I were to replace Leone under my bottom three, because I was also stuck with her too... Um, I'm not going to say Lorenz. I think Lorenz is good, but it's still it's just armor. But no, I, I really liked Claude because he looks like he's bigger, like he's bulkier. He, he does look bigger, bulkier, and he, he does the rare thing. I normally hate the look, but he pulls off that weird, like, pencil-thin goat side beard, goatee thing. Mutton chops. Yeah, I guess that's mutton chops. Kind of. He, he, he actually pulls it off. I normally hate that look, but he, he it works for him. And one more from the Golden Deer. Uh, Raphael, because he just looks like a straight-up gladiator. <laughs> he looks like, if he was in professional wrestling, he would be the world heavyweight champion. He, he's the Andre the Giant of this game. Yeah, pretty much. You don't want to get a clothesline from him. Absolutely not. As for me, I still have one more time skip design that I really like, and it's from a character I previously didn't really like that much. 
Bernadetta. I hate her pre-time to skip design because I hate that hair. It is the messiest, dirtiest looking hair, and I hate looking at it. Time skip. She's got a great outfit, and she's actually taking care taking care of herself. I and I understand I understand the story reasons for why she's wasn't taking care of herself, why she was just avoiding everyone. I know the story reasons with her father and everything, but it was a bad it was a bad pre time skip look. Great post time skip look because she's more confident, she's more assured of herself, and it shows. She looks like Loot from uh, Sacred Stones a little bit. She does. It, there's 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 very similar looks um, to her, and I agree. Um, but again, because I was sticking to the one per house thing, just my limitation, not our limitation. Um, Dorothea just she just wanted out for me, but yeah. For let's moving on to our bottom three time skip designs. Let's go from three to one on this one. Okay. And I think I'll go ahead and start off. My third least favorite time skip design is Hubert. Oh dear lord, it's it's a bad design because his time skip just looks like he messed up his hair a little bit and he's facing the other end of the camera. His clothes are just oh, they're black robes. He's Whatever. king of the goths. I and, he go, I liked and, it. He, and he goes from looking like a thirty year old to a forty year old. I didn't mind it so much. Um, he's not he's not on my list for anything for like either the best or the worst. I liked his uh, time skip design, but I think. For me, a lot of Humor's charm is his voice actor. Just that he's dark and brooding, but he's not... I don't know. I guess you could say he's a little over the top, maybe? The voice actor is definitely is definitely going all in. And honestly, when the character's dialogue is what it is, when the character's look is what it is, I don't think he had a choice but to go all in. And just I respect that decision. I, I don't love the character of Hubert, but I, I think it's just a bad design because... One, nothing really changes, and what does change is just either nothing or it's worse. Hart, but he has a cape, Cardwiz. I know. That's that's why he's not number one. That cape saved him. Alright. Alright. My my um my number three was and this is the one that I had a hard time choosing because I had a hard time choosing between him and Mercedes because I'm sorry, Mercedes. Because I don't like either one of these characters' hair in their time skip. It's not bad, but there's just something that mm, doesn't jump out for me. And that is Felix. What really kind of won me over for Felix's time skip design, not being my third least favorite, is the fact that his hair doesn't really change. I mean, he's pretty much like the Navarre-esque character. And we know that he has his hair tied up, but pre-time or post-time skip, his hair, for some reason, it's still knotted. It's still a little messy. And I feel like the colors for his attire are just kind of everywhere. Yeah, he's he's wearing the those furs from the from the fur, uh, I, Fargus. Fargus, yes. My brain was like Fargus. It can't be Fargus. That's the name of that one pirate. But it is Fargus. Yeah. <laughs> I I I don't mind the robes. I don't think they look great for like his. He's normal. He's like the swordmaster of the game. But I don't. His clothes don't really sort of fit that model. I agree. Like with the pre-time skip, he's got that bun. So you assume in the post-time skip, he he's either cut it off or it's like flowing long. But now it's just sort of the same. I, I get where you're going with this. It's, there's more potential with this design than what we got. I think if you had his hair, if you had his hair down a little bit longer, and honestly, the Swordmaster attire, like just the basic plain Swordmaster attire for the Swordmaster class, would be perfect for him. And I know it's a little bit 
um, Navarre or Lon Koo or Joshua-esque, but it kind of works. Just add some Fargus symbols, maybe break up the just the straight blue a little bit, and he would be a top-tier choice. A little, again, cliched, but he'd be the best. And the reason why, like, this guy, he got on here instead of Mercedes is because Mercedes' attire is good, but her hair is kind of eh. But for me, for, for Felix, it's just the whole costume that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I I absolutely see where you're going there. I'm I'm looking at a screen with all of the post time skip designs, and I'm just imagining like Felix would look better with uh I don't I don't mean to step on your potential toes in the future, but he would look better with either like Ferdinand's time skip Tarzan hair or Caspar's semi buzz cut hair. Just, he 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 needs he needed a, he needed a bigger change with his character. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that comes because his pre time skip is just so clean cut. You know, hair aside, he still has a really nice, unique look to him. Moving on to my number two time skip that I just didn't care for. I think you might be able to sense a theme. A character who didn't really change with his time skip. Sylvain. Oh my god. Number one for me. I have him at I have him at number two, and as mentioned before, Leon is my number one, but he's he's just he, nothing changed. He he goes from looking to the left to looking to the right with a slight perk in his hair, but it still looks messy. His hair looks bad. It, it looks like a worse version of, and maybe my Kingdom Hearts fans will get this, um, Terra or Terra Xehanort. Like, it looks like a worse version of that. And then, like, he's a full-on paladin, I believe, is his starting class um, in the time skip. And he just has this plain, generic black armor. And because of, like, the lighting and shading in this game, it looks just really dirty. I, I can't really explain it, but it doesn't look good. It absolutely does not look good. He, he looks generic. I, I like his character, but, man, he's he's a, one he's probably the most generic-looking unit out of everyone in this game. It, it doesn't help that, like, for, like, probably, like, the first month of the game, I was having a hard time in the months leading up to the game's release, I mean. I was having a hard time telling the difference between him and Ferdinand because, like, ah, oh, they're both reddish hair characters. One's looking to the left, one's looking to the right. I, I don't get the difference. Just like, and Sylvain just stayed the same while Ferdinand became Tarzan. For, for, for who? Ferdinand what? Uh, I, I uh, apologize. You might have heard of him. He's he's a noble, Ferdinand von Eyer. Oh yes, yes. Okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, since you've already revealed my number one, I guess we'll we'll continue on. Um, for me, it's a character that I don't like in the post-time skip. It's a character I don't like in the pre-time skip and probably one of my least favorite characters in the game overall, and that goes to Linhart. Oh, I, based on that lead-up, I was 100% certain you were going to say Cyril. <laughs> no, no. I, Cyr, I don't, I mean, I don't like Cyril. He's like the bottom of bottom for characters, but there's nothing wrong with his time skip design. In fact, you know what? I will use this opportunity to... to oh, God. I'm, do it. Do it. Say something nice about him. Do I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna pray Cyril. I think yeah. his I think his post time skip design actually looks really good. Like he's now a full on archer. He has like the nice archer jerkin. He has like a nice like breastplate or a breast or um I can't remember what it's called. It's it's some kind of like breast covering over his heart or whatever. Um all the colors look really nice. And when we first see Cyril in this post time skip, he basically just kinda looks like an urchin. But when he seemed the in the post time skip design, he actually we can see that he's grown up. We can see that time has passed a lot for him, and he's a little bit more mature. With that said, Linhart, it's just 
It's green on green, and it doesn't look as good as, say, Ignaut's. I gotta be honest. I love Linhart's George Washington looking hair. Like th- those those hairs are just se- just scream seventeen hundreds Americas and Englands, and I, I I'm a sucker for it. It's oh such a weird look for a Fire Emblem game. They're just like I, I, I I'm in on it. I like it. I don't mind. He, I don't mind his. I don't mind his hair. It's it, for me right here. It's the complete opposite of what I didn't like about Felix, where it was just like the hair is fine. I just don't like his attire. His his attire is meh. It's it's just there. Yeah, for me, it's just like he's wearing like a green jacket. He, he's he's completing that colonial look in my mind. I I do I do think it fits the character. I do think it fits his design. It's just like it's a weird design for a fire emblem game, but I like it because it's weird. Yeah, it just it just didn't gel with me. I remember seeing him in the post time skip. I was just like, ugh. <laughs> I I absolutely get that. <laughs> so we've talked about a little bit about the um. The characters for this game talk about their pre and post time skip, but did you have any characters that like grew on you from where you originally like saw them versus like what you saw them in the pre release? Uh, the biggest thing that surprised me some of the characters I knew what I was going to get firsthand. I knew from what Bernadetta, for example, was just like, okay, I know what your C supports are going to be, and I know there's probably some sort of reason, or I hope there's some sort of reason why you're so reclusive and fearful of everything, whatever. Sylvain, I was just like, okay, you're going to be the womanizer, whatever. But I actually enjoyed his character development, so I was very happy about that. I was very happy about, we had Ferdinand von Eyer, we had Lorenz being noble, 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 noble in the pre-time skip thing, so it was just in all the advertising, so it was just like, okay, I hope that they're they're going to put a more sympathetic eye or have eye-opening experiences as a noble or whatever. And thankfully, for the most part, that happened, I think. Overall, like, there aren't huge disappointments. Oh, dear Lord, Marianne had the best one. Oh, yes. Marianne is just one of the best characters, period, with her development. We've gone over Marianne before, but dear Lord, she's one of my favorites. And I I didn't put her on my top or bottom list because it was like, yeah, those are pre-time skip and post-time skip. They're both good designs. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me rephrase like this. You're starting up your new three houses house, right? Or your new playthrough and your save. What is the one character that absolutely has to be on your team? Sans Marianne, no matter what. I'm going to go with my gut instinct of what it was originally. It was just like, I want to hang out with Leone. I want to hang out with Raphael. Those were the two designs that really stuck out to me as they were doing their own. They were clearly doing their own thing. I hadn't really seen a character like Raphael, or just like I knew he was going to be fill out that heavy knight sort of role. But it was just cool to see him there, just happy, jolly, just like yeah, this is who I am. I've got my shirt unbuttoned, and just like all right, you're you're fun. You're you're just a fun character design. I like you. And Leone with like the huntress sort of thing going on knows who she is. All right. Those were the two characters I was instantly. I I like you too. I'm definitely golden deer for life. Cool, cool, cool. I guess that kind of covers my house opinion too. <laughs> for, well, for me, like I think the character that probably grew on me first is something that you touched on earlier when you were talking about. You know, you can't really you don't really know the difference between Sylvain and Ferdinand von Eyre. Uh, Ferdinand Ferdinand von Eyre actually really grew on me. 
Because, again, it's sort of the noble, 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 but he has such a presence about him, such an air about him. And it's, he's he's a little bit arrogant, but he's not beyond learning uh, past his uh, selfish ways and stuff like that. So he's a guy that always has to be on my team. Um, I didn't. I don't think I've actually had him on all my teams, but he's he's definitely up there for me. But he is on my main team in Fire Emblem Heroes. So. How is Heroes going? Uh, Heroes, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. So I guess I got I got one more question. Yes. Did this game overall meet your expect expectations? Did it exceed your expectations? And is this game in your top five fireman titles? It absolutely exceeded my expectations. I I tried to go in with as as many of my opinions in check as possible to not let my dr- hopes and dreams fly away, but. I, I ended up coming into this game hoping for the best, and I feel like I got it for the most part. There are some big disappointments. The maps being sort of the first thing. Yeah, yeah. We th- this game did not have good maps, and it didn't have. It, there were so many repeat maps. It was so disappointing. The maps were bad. I think the side missions, almost all of those, the side missions that we get for recruiting the the students onto our team. Almost all of them are just like not very good, not very interesting, and can feel like really out of place in the story. It's just like, wait, what? What? Ingrid's getting married? What? Is this going to have a consequence on this if I had done this or if I had not? Just, uh, and oh, by the way, this takes place inside a volcano for some reason. Uh, well, and, and that kind of brings up something else too, because it takes place inside the Valley of Torment, right? But then you, but then later on the time skip. You know, you have to go back to the Valley of Torment for, like, the main story. And people are like, oh, what's the Valley of Torment? I have no idea what this is. It's like, I was I was here, like, five years ago. Ultimately, I th- well, I think what, the, what, like, the big problem with this game is, is that maps repeating wouldn't be so bad if you didn't have multiple routes in which you would play these maps over and over again. Or you wouldn't have, um, like you said, the special paralogs where, you know, you're going back to these places over and over and over again. Honestly, I think I'd cut paralogs. If if I were to do this game again, I'd just say cut the paralogs, spend that time working on something else, preferably trying to make more or improve your maps. I can't think of like a single paralog that I think was this was absolutely one hundred percent must play. I this was an amazing experience. This was an amazing map. There are some okay ones that stick out in my mind. The, the set of flame ones, okay. The general consensus that I usually hear is that get the Conquest map designers, Fire Emblem Fates Conquest. Because Fire Emblem Fates Conquest did have some good, unique ideas in their maps. I really do like uh, Conquest for that purpose. Overall, I love this game. I still think it's fantastic. It's a great starting point for anyone. It's a great point for people to jump back into Fire Emblem if you fell out of love with it after Fates or Awakening. There's so many great things about it. I love the monastery. I think I'm in the minority of people that love the monastery. I just hate the picking up stuff and delivering it to people. But honestly, you don't need to do that. If you want a mid-max, yeah, you, you do that. But it's not something you need to do. I did it the first time I played it. I haven't done it since. It's just this annoyance on my screen. But it's an annoyance I can easily ignore. There are a lot of things about Fire Emblem Three Houses that are just like, I'm annoyed by this, but I can ignore it. If I if I don't want to use the Divine Pulse, I don't have to. I can just let the characters die. If I don't 
want to have the perfectly min-max character balance, I don't have to. It's so customizable. It's just like, I feel like having an entire squad of Wyvern Knights. I feel like having an entire squad of snipers. I can do that if I want. Yeah, be, being able to, to approach this game and just have so much freedom is just, it's it's amazing. And, you, you know, like I feel like they've been kind of leaning towards this. I mean, uh, what we saw with Echoes, which is, of course is a remake of uh, the 1992 game Gaiden, you know, we got to see a lot, some little bit of the shackles come off with that. Um, and, of course, we also did see it in Fates and Awakening as well, but I feel like here it's just balls to the wall, go for it. Do you want to do your normal cool, your normal big heavy guy to be a, a dancer or a mage? Sure, why not? Do you want your main character, Byleth, to be a um, a horse rider? Go for it. You know, there's just there's just no limit on you know what you want to do. I absolutely love the customization. I if I hope that continues, but if it doesn't continue, I would be okay with that as well. But one thing that I will absolutely demand has to be in every single Fire Emblem game from here on out till the end of time: keep those enemy attack indicators. Dear Lord, yes. those are so good and save so much time because. It's just doing the things that I would have to do anyway, where to have to be like, okay, this character's in range of this guy, so I need to go calculate this guy's attack versus my guy's defense or resistance. And it's just like, it just does it for me. It takes something that would take me a few seconds and just does it instantly. It's beautiful. I love it so much. And then, and then you know, sort of like with the older games, it's like, well, you left this person open by accident, so they're going to attack them and you didn't realize it. But with the aggression lines, you can say, oh, wait. They're going, to attack, they're going to go for that person. Okay, so I can move to this square instead of that square. Or, you know, sort of like in the old games where it's just like, okay, I have this person set up to where they're going to take the blow, and then the AI completely just like, mm, not this time, we're just going to, going to go random with it. And of course, you know, there's ways to calculate what they're actually going to go through, but it's really granular and stuff. But here, it's just like, there's so many things that are just open to both old players and new players. And the difficulty settings, like, you have, what, five difficulty settings now? Or is it four? I think it's just three. I thought it was just normal, hard, and maddening. Oh, oh you know what? I was thinking there was a lunatic. Uh, no, I don't think... No, I don't believe they added a lunatic. I think they just did maddening for this one. I remember there was talk early on about lunatic being a possibility, but I think that was just speculation. Okay, well, that's that's my fault then. So there's the three difficulty settings. Of course, there are the complaints that we've gone over a thousand times, the fandom has gone over the enti- a thousand times with Crimson Flower's story being what it is and Silver Snow's story being Verdant Wind minus a few things just told from Seth's point of view. Oh, we're, we're going to talk about Crimson Flower one day. Yes, that that's definitely going to be a podcast. Have, have you done Crimson Flower? Have you finished that? Yeah, I've done All Roots. Okay. That's why I just couldn't remember off the top of my head if you'd done Crimson Flower yet. Yeah, well, I wanted to sit on it for a little while before I actually, you know, put my thoughts together on it. Plus, that Nintendo Dream interview come out uh, during that time in between me beating it and uh, now, so that was also kind of helpful. <laughs> but what's but but my last question that you know that you haven't answered yet is this game in your top five Fire Emblems? For me, for me personally, it is number two. I will. Forever love Fire Emblem 7, Blazing Sword. I, I love that game so much because I just like the pick up and play element of that one 
more than the uh, than the other ones because that one's just like here is the straight line of gameplay and it will take you about 20 hours to do because you know the game and you know the characters have fun just just for me that's what i liked in that game three houses i have to put a little bit more mental effort into it with the planning and with the lessons and stuff like that so i i just enjoy fire Emblem seven for the pickup and playness and for the emotional connection i have to that one being my first what about yourself well for me i want to say i'm trying to think i'm trying because i don't have my five in order in my head completely but i want to say it comes out to be my fourth favorite title so for me sacred stones is number one fire emblem seven number two um echoes is a number three and then three houses is number four for me with i think path of radiance um coming in fifth for me and again, it's all the things that you said. You know, I have some criticisms with this game, but overall, I really enjoy it. And I put like almost 300 hours into it. So, and it feels like about half of those hours can be felt just going through all the support conversations that that game has. Yeah, there's a ton of support conversations, and they're all voiced. It's so wonderful. Thank you, game, for doing that. One thing that I do think that the next game needs to improve on is uh, where the support conversations take place. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna try my best to break this down on, on, on a technical level where it's two people standing on a basic plane. There's actually nothing in there, and basically what they do is they take a flat texture of what area they want it to be in, and they basically kind of wrap it around. If that makes sense, to where your characters are technically standing in a sphere. It's a weird choice because occasionally you can see like a weirdly stretched bench or something like that in the background. Or with um, the, um, I'm trying to think of what paralogue it is. It's the one with Sothis, where she's standing in the, um, when she's standing in the tomb, you can you can clearly see just like a little bit under the text box where the ground is actually moving underneath herself, underneath her feet or whatever. Um, it's it's not good. Yeah, it, it's honestly a case. I think I've brought this up on the podcast before. I I kind of wish they were just 2D models during the supports because then you can use your imagination a little more and not just have the characters making the same awkward gestures we see them make a ton of times. Or, hey, check check this item out. Here's a giant picture. Uh, hey, a cat. Picture of a cat. They have some work to do. And hopefully, since they're done with the Origami King, um, intelligent systems can uh, fully jump on the next Fire Emblem. I'm absolutely okay with it going in this direction that it went in with Three Houses. I'm even happier we got a character in Smash that pisses people off, but that's for another time. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I, can, I can taste the tears still. <laughs> I don't even play Smash anymore. I stopped after playing that after like two months. But we did talk about the support conversations card was, and I, I think it may be time. I think it may be time for one. Uh, what, what support did you have in mind in honor of the one year kind of anniversary of Three Houses? As well as we've been doing is that we've been choosing support conversations that kind of fit the theme of the episode, and one of those is a problem with this uh, with this game and its support conversations. At the same time, it's a great support between two characters I really like, Lauren Tillman Gloucester and Ferdinand von Eyre. Card was I know I kind of stereotyped you last week, but ah, what the hell? I'm gonna do it again. You get to be Ferdinand because you have red hair. Always put in a corner. Fine, I'll I'll live with that shame. Are you ready? Bring it on. <clears throat> ah, that fragrance. Could it be? Ferdinand, I cannot help but notice the exquisite tea you're drinking. 
Not many can appreciate it, let alone recognize it. I am impressed. Perhaps you would be so good as to indulge me with a cup? By all means, allow me to pour. Ah, what a delightful aroma. When I close my eyes, I feel as though I've wandered into a rose garden. Such a precise, poetic description. But please, drink up. No need to stand on ceremony. How gracious of you. Very well. Flavor, fragrance, and hue, all in fine harmony. This is a most superior brew, and a market saturated by palimitation, no less. You did well to acquire such fine fare. You are clearly quite passionate about tea. And more than just passionate, you know what it takes to brew a fine cup, to say nothing of your flawless etiquette and sterling attentiveness. Certainly. Proper etiquette at tea time is one of the surest hallmarks of quality breeding, and the extent of one's attentiveness is often quite indicative of the depth of one's character. The ability of a person, a fine stock to, to exhibit, a rich quality of character is precisely what, it term, what determines whether one is worthy to be called a noble. All of that can be seen in how one handles such a simple thing as a cup of tea. Ah, marvelously put, Lorenz. I can tell you have given much thought to the subject, and if I may, I have always considered you to be the very model of noble comportment. Likewise. This has certainly been an extraordinary, extraordinarily meaningful cup of tea. I wholeheartedly concur. Before we part ways, I would like to offer you some of these leaves. Truly? I'm flattered, but I can simply not accept them without offering something in exchange. You simply must allow me to host you in return, by, re of, by way of recompense. We shall drink from House Gloucester's finest teacups and enjoy the loveliest of his cakes. That sounds exquisite. I look forward to it. I love the support. I feel so fancy. Where did this cravat come from? Oh, yes. Now you feel it. I feel so fancy now. My, my pinky is just standing up on end. I don't know why. And I have this rose in my lapel, no less. <laughs> it is a fun support. We see them acting all noblish, exchanging noble ideas and the no fine noble art of tea. It's it's just a fun little conversation <laughs> between two people who love their tea. And you know what the thing is? It it's just so normal. You know what I mean? Like some characters you kind of get like, well, there's a normal conversation, but there's something extravagant or something kind of goofy or weird. But this is just two people of high class society just talking as two people of high class society do. It's quite enjoyable. Sadly, this one only goes to B, but let, let's see how the B goes. And I believe, I don't know if this is locked behind the time, but by a time skip or not. I don't believe it is. I don't know if any of the Bs are locked behind the time skip. Yeah, but here we go. That reminds me, Ferdinand, I wonder if a certain rumor has approached your ears. I suspect I know what you're referring to. A certain noble who causes a stir at one of the local taverns, correct? For someone of status to make such a scene. What a disgrace. I thought just the same. A noble ought to hold himself to a higher standard. It is hardly appropriate to drink and mingle with a tavern full of commoners. Oh, uh, ah, that, that is not quite what I meant. I do not object to a noble patronizing their local establishments. In fact, I would say such excursions have value. Is that so? I would be very curious to hear what value you mean exactly, but allow me first to venture a guess. 
Is it that you suppose it is proper for a noble to bolster a town's wealth with his patronage? If that is your thinking, then I would counter with whatever one adds to a merchant coffers seldoms makes it to the pockets of the townsfolk. I think that if a noble wishes to use his resources to ease the burdens of the commoners, he ought to go about town and spend it more directly. That is wonderfully insightful, Lorenz, albeit not what I had in mind. What I mean was this. We can benefit from crossing the threshold and learning more about regular folk. We scarcely understand the reality of their lives. In turn, they do not know about us. I have heard that some believe we have horns growing from our heads. It is an embarrassing and potentially perilous state of affairs. You are quite right. In fact, it reminds me of something a boy once said to me when I visited a village in my father's territory. He asked—he actually asked me if I had a tell. Ah, hilarious. <laughs> we all need a laugh now and then. As a man of status, I feel it is my calling to right the world's wrongs, and there is only so much that I can do alone. Working in tandem, though, you and I could make tremendous accomplishments. My sentiment exactly— Together we could, we could achieve a great deal, though the circumstances of birth may have placed one of us high, one of us in the Empire and the other in the Alliance. We can still study and fight together. Yes, precisely. Together there is nothing that we cannot accomplish. Uh, by the way, Lorenz, do you have a tale? <laughs> <laughs> I do it like this because sort of a theme between Lorenz and Ferdinand von Eyre is that they, they're they nobles, but they also try to understand the common people as well. You also basically sort of see this with Lorenz and Dorothea or Lorenz and Marianne as well. They have this, but they also have sort of slightly different philosophies in how they go about it, making them each their own characters, even, even though they share a lot of the same traits. They do have those slight differences that mean that make it so okay. You're not just clones of each other. Yeah, yeah. Basically, because stated in this support, you know, Ferdinand isn't you know beyond going to a tavern and you know chill and learn about the townsfolk. Where Lorenz is basically like, okay, if you want to spread your patronage rather than hanging out with a bunch of drunks, just spend your money, throw your money around, you know, to help the townsfolk out. It, it is a very fun sport, and partially what makes it so fun. Both characters are taking everything they're saying incredibly seriously, even though we as readers th can view it as silly, and it's wonderful. I remember when I first discovered that they had a support in when I was playing um, the Crimson Flower, and I, I just went, <gasps> I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> but not all is good with the support card, Wiz. What, what do you dislike about it? So this is a problem that kind of goes back to Awakening and something that they started with. So I'll, I'll, kind of st I'll start from there and kind of work my way forward. But with Awakening and Fates, if your character wasn't going to produce a second-gen character, they didn't, they didn't bother with giving you a full support list. And that's kind of continued into, the, into this game where, okay, if your characters aren't going to be paired off, then we didn't bother to give you an A support. And, th th like, this is just one example of this. Like, there's plenty of characters in this game where it's just like, oh, here's your C support, here's your B support. But because you're not going to have a paired ending, we're not going to bother with giving you an A support. And I find that to be incredibly lazy. I don't mind there being just a few only B supports, so long as those two supports tell a story. And I, I feel like the 
Lorenz and Ferdinand one did tell a story. I'm sure that there could have been an expansion on the story in a, in a post time skip a support, but at, at that point you can't really do much about it because you could have both of them on Crimson Flower and or on Burden Wind and be telling different messages, and it's slightly trickier to have a conversation about them in war times when they might have two different philosophies on the war depending on which side they're on. Well, I think you could go further into the A support uh, as a time skip, having you know visit them there, having both of them basically having tested out their philosophies like we just talked about with Ferdinand going getting to know the townspeople through a tavern and Lorenz getting to know his by throwing his patronage uh, by spending here and there to see which one was the ultimate right way, and then they come together and be like, well, you know what, maybe it's both right, you know, that's just I don't know, I just I don't like that some of these characters don't have full C to A or S supports. It it could have been, but I I don't think that it was enough to to add on top of its B support. I think that would just be repeating the B in a slightly different way. And I I think with this C and B support, they got the story that they needed to cross. I'm I'm pleased with it. I'd give it like a three out of five. Oh no! Get me wrong. I I do love it. I just I just think as the whole, going back from Awakening to Fades to now that, or it, you could even say Echoes in like a several places where characters that should have supports are just kind of shortchanged a little bit. It's one of the good things about Three Houses that you rarely get that because there are so many supports. So many characters have all the supports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is it's it's just a slight blemish. I just I don't know. I see C, B, I'm just like, okay, well, you obviously thought, oh, we're not pairing him, so we're not going to give him an A support, and that that that, that just bugs me. It's just, it, it's a me thing. I don't know if it bugs anybody else, but it's definitely a me thing. It honestly doesn't bug me. I, I feel that there are times when it's okay to just have a B support. But that, Matt, maybe that's just me. Let, let us know in the comments. Let us know on Twitter how you, how you guys feel about the sports like that. At Emblem Supports, by the way. Now we move on to the final section of our podcast where we talk about a Fire Emblem game that we've been playing along with. And it's been a while since our last episode, so as a reminder, we've been playing through Path of Radiance. On our last episode, we played through chapters, prologue through chapter 7, where we sadly saw the demise of our father figure. But how will we move on without him? Let's find out. Chapter 8. Despair and Hope. Okay, stuff's bad. <laughs> Grail is dead as we open upon his grave site with Mist and Ike standing above it. And we get a little bit of a flashback to Ike's childhood with Grail training and, oh man, all the feels. But Ike and Mist have a moment over the grave before they go back to meet with Titania and the rest of the Grail mercenaries. Because now the Grail's gone, Grail has left Ike in charge. The guy who's only been a mercenary for like a month, maybe-ish. But it's going to be all okay. We've still got Titania. We've got Soren. We've got Shannon. We've got Gotri. We've got the entire crew. who We can all rally behind Ike and make him a better leader. Make him the leader that Grail wants him to become. Right, guys? Uh, totally, totally. Um, in fact, once Titania told everyone that Ike was now in charge, Shannon quote exploded and left with uh Gatry said I'm out of here too. You that you you don't want to be bossed around by a, a teenager who's only been doing the same job as you for like a month 
in nah. in an obviously case of just favoritism. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've we've lost Shannon and Gatry, but Ike does say like he gets it. He's like, I I know why they left. You know, I'm an inexperienced leader, and you know I'm putting their life on the line. I I I'm not going to I'm not going to hold it against him. Very mature of Ike. <laughs> In, instead of screaming like. I miss my arrow, Jagan. Like I probably would have. Like I probably was on my screen. It's time to move on. Ike is a leader now. He is in charge of the Grail mercenaries, and with that being in charge, becomes another stage of adulthood. The preparation screen. Oh yes, thank you. I love this slight change. It it's using the game menu and mechanics as a part of character development. It's wonderful. Ike's in charge. He has to deal with the preparation screen now. I, you know, I didn't, I did not think of that. I did not think of it like that. I just thought, okay, I got a preparation screen now, but you put it into a whole new context. You know, Grail was just hoarding all that XP for himself, or he was just giving it to Shinnon. Are you saying he was in charge of the bonus XP? Yes, he was in charge of the bonus XP. He was not giving us any. Speaking of bonus XP, Cardus, what is bonus XP? Throughout the game, as you're completing the missions, you're getting extra experience points. You'll get like an extra hundred experience points here, like per mission. And then you can just spend that on your troops however you want. Like it's You can't just give one experience point to Titania and have her grow one experience point. Sadly, as you as your characters get more experience, you have to invest more points into them. But it's such a nice little feature. And plus, there are bonus objectives. Like if you rescue all the people on a map or something like that, you'll get like an extra 100 or so experience points or whatever. If you complete the map in so many turns, you get extra experience points. I think you get extra experience points if you're playing the game on hard. It's a neat feature. I really like it. And personally, what I would always do, because I remember back in the day of uh, GameFAQ's message boards... There was so much uh, speculation that I, I've never bothered to look up whether it's true or not. If you give your characters ex- extra experience points to ex- explicitly level up, you would get lesser gains from it. <laughs> yeah, I heard that too, but I've never... I, I, I don't know. I've heard that before, but I don't know if that's true either. I have no idea if it's true, but what I would always do and what I still do to this day is I always bump people up to 99 experience points so that the first thing they do on a new map is level up and be like, ha, I cheated it. I'm getting all those percentage gains, even though if I had to bet, I guess it's not a thing. But I, I honestly don't know. I should probably look that up since I've been living under that potentially false misinformation for over a decade. Well, typically I typically I use bonus experience to basically close the gap or maybe close or maybe like level up someone who like I didn't deploy previously. So if I didn't deploy, say, Reese, well, no, that's a bad idea. You should always deploy Reese. Let's say I didn't de- deploy Mia on the last map. So she would have, I, I usually will like give her maybe a level or two of bonus experience to kind of like catch her up. Or let's say you have someone that has like 85 experience points. Okay, just give them 15 so you can nudge them up to the next level. I do things like that. I like to use it to, if you, if you just recruited someone or you have someone who's really low level, like say missed and you want to use her instead of Reese because Reese has gotten one point of luck for three straight level ups. Oh. Then give missed all the XP you want. Cause she's going to be the only useful healer you've got. You stupid redheaded. You hate to see it. I'm getting RNG screwed with a couple of people. Reese being the number one guy who's just like, you're, you're benched forever more. You're garbage now. I wasn't really planning on using you, but 
Now I have to use mist. What else do we have in this preparation screen? Preparation screen, we have shops, including customization of weapons. You can customize one weapon per chapter. We have, we well, we got, we, we got merchants, which is nice. Or, I'm sorry, it's not just that they're merchants, they're actually people in a convoy that travel with you. And you have reason to talk to them. They, they're, they're, they're traveling with Ileana, or they were, but... Oh, wait, no, never mind, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, <laughs> jump a little bit ahead. Jump a little bit ahead. I forgot where Ileana joined us, but... Yeah, there are people, you can talk to them. At times, the head lady of her shop gets a little creepy with Ike, but maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah, I'm thinking the, the, the four that join you, I want to say you got a big dude with a beard. I think his name is Mutton or Mutton. Uh, you have the aforementioned shopkeeper named Amy. And then you have George, the Japanese Dorcas, basically, because he's such a meme for whatever reason. And uh, I think the other guy may, might be Daniel. I didn't write his name down. Yeah, I'm... I'm sorry. I'm letting my prejudice show. They are shop people to me. Sorry, they, you're, they're all Merlinus to me. Wow. But that—that's one aspect that we get now that we're in charge of the company. Another thing that we get, we get to randomly talk to people. Yeah. So you have an info tab, and uh, there are conversations here. And I asked Cardwiz. I was just like, "Do we need to cover these conversations? Because there are a lot of conversations, and they're full-on conversations." Maybe not like on the level of a support conversation, but they are, they can be long at times depending on who it is because they have importance. I believe your importance goes from like one star to five stars, maybe. I didn't write this part down as you can tell. Either three or five, I forget the max. Yeah, that's all I was thinking through three or five. But some conversations are really important. Some are just kind of like, ah, here's why I'm joining you. Yes, you get really emotional ones like the one in this one where we can hear Titania grieving the loss of Grail. Out in the woods, basically at nighttime, away from everybody else. Yeah, it's it's bad. We we are in full on despair territory after the loss of Grail. Thankfully, it can't get any worse, right? Of course not. We covered despair, and there should be hope now, right? Oh look, it's a defense chapter where we don't have our uh, arrow jagan or our Gotri shield. I'm sure we'll do okay. Yeah, we've got a tough. This is a tough defense chapter. It's it's legitimately like twice as hard as the last one, and you you're missing two of your best units because they abandoned you. You couldn't have waited one chapter, you two jerks. I definitely had several close calls on this map. I thought I was going to lose my godlike Oscar. I did lose my Oscar once, but then Ike died. So it's <sighs> like I have to restart. I for, Ike died for me twice on this chapter. But, 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 but it's very it's very easy to do. It's it's a nasty chapter. You've got three entrance ways to this map, and all of them have just people constantly charging in. You've got horsemen to the south. You've got archers and armor knights and javelins on the right. You've got swordsmen and armor knights on the axemen on the left. It's just nastiness just coming at you. And then you got to have Ike on the left side because there's Ileana, the mage you got to recruit with him. And just, uh, it this is a nasty map. And, I mean, even Titania being your, you know, your Jagan type or whatever you want to classify her as, even she can get still, she can still get overwhelmed by people because I want to say there may be a couple of people that have Rider's Banes with them. And that, of course, means that if you're riding something uh the weapons like 
double effective against you, I think. Titania, we, we've had our despair. Titania is our hope. Titania can cover one of those three entranceways and just kill everything and hopefully flank around to take out one of the other entryways. Yeah, you also have to be careful if you have uh, Mist and... No, you don't, I don't think you have them yet. What's his name then? Reese. <laughs> you have Reese. <laughs> you have to be careful yeah. where you position Reese as well, because one square too often, he may get hit by a stray javelin, which almost happened to me a couple times. Yes, and I believe there's a... I think there's a stray longbow in this one, too. Yes. Yes. So, uh, uh, I hate a, that guy. This is a nasty chapter, but man, is it satisfying you, if you can beat it without losing anyone. And I finally was able to do it without losing anyone. After, as I said, after I died twice and I got two games overs. Hooray for Iron Man. Uh, but even in this story, like we all, we only have to last eight turns, and after those eight turns, we're still getting overwhelmed. But thankfully, some Lethe and Mordecai run in and save us. And here's the thing. This is basic because we're in we're in Gallia. Dayan forces are attacking us in Gallia, which means they're crossing over the border. They no longer care. They're like, you know what? We don't care if we fight Gallia. We'll start a war with Gallia as well. Yep, they're they're ready to take over everything. And the first step to that is to get the princess, and we've kind of got her. Let the and Mordecai thankfully save us, and we have our first learning moment with Ike. He learns that the Beast people are not called subhumans. They have a name called uh, Lagoos. Or, and they, he learns that the Lagoos call humans Bjork. I actually wrote a quote down here from Leith, and it says, Most Bjork call us by hated names, Look at us, and look at us with eyes filled with scorn. So, of course, Soren just immediately calls them subhuman and is about to attack. Thanks, Soren. I have always hated Soren. I think he's a dickhead. I hate Soren. He's a jerk. He's full on attacking these people who save, going after and antagonizing these people who saved us. Mordecai's about to just destroy Soren, but Ike leaps in and saves his scrawny butt. Ike took a straight on hit from a tiger lagoose. Mordecai apologizes, even though, yeah, we, we don't blame you. We don't blame you for wanting to just punk out Soren. And what gets me afterwards, Soren's like, <gasps> Ike, huh? I'm just like, Soren, this is your fault. Okay, let's see if Soren can change with some character development. Here's your chance, Soren. But for now, we have to keep going to Gallia, because the king wants to see us. We do have one more sort of preparation thing now. Act after every single battle, uh, Soren will actually give us a progress report, saying, okay, how much money you made, how much money you spent, uh, how much bonus experience you earned, what allies died, and also what allies joined the... Join the calls. Chapter 9. Galia. Fight time again. We are on the road again. I can't wait to get on the road again. We've lost our buddy Shannon and got tree again, but at least we now have Mist and Rolf. On the info screen, Mist says that she's strengthening her resolve, even if she does still cry sometimes. Oh, how sweet. Now, get out here and go on the front lines and start healing people, because I need another healer now. Uh, Rolf joins us with his fancy Rolf's bow which is the only reason he can get anything done at this point, because it has extra crit and extra damage. He does nothing for me. Yeah, I'm going to have to use him, because I'm, my, my, my units aren't that great right now. My, I'm getting a little bit RNG screwed with my people. My Rolf is RNG screwed. He's gotten like three, lo three one-stat level ups. I'm just like, this isn't happening. This is, a, this is a fun little map with a little bit of challenge to it, because 
if you want to, you can just go straight down to the left on this map, go straight to the boss, and you should have no problem. Or you can try to split up and try to save two villages that are in the top left that are really inconveniently placed. And if you aren't absolutely 100% making a beeline for it, pirates will destroy at least one of the villages. Yeah, I think I think the pirates got the villages for me. For the first time in a while in playing this map, I actually managed to save the villages because Mia just charged in head on and got very lucky against the mages who were up there. I had no one I could send up there because I was just thinking, okay, well, I need a good mage to send up there, but I can't send Liliana by herself. And it's sand, so I can't send Titania because she gets reduced to, what, one or two movement compared to her, like, five or six. So I just, I, I couldn't get to the villages in time. I got lucky. I managed to save the villages. And for my trouble, I got a Restore Staff and a Talisman. They really do love those stat boosters, don't they? They really do. They're being very nice about that. But as we're marching along, marching along, either on the beach or up to the south, defeating Dane soldiers and beating up pirates... Uh, the pirate dialogue, I don't remember if I said this last time, but the pirate dialogue is stupid and fun in this game. Just with like, it's just over the top, yar, har, he, he, and making up stupid rhymes. It's wonderfully stupid. I love it. Don't forget shout outs to my boy Shanty Pete. <laughs> As we're moving along, uh, Mar- Marcia or Marcia. What did we decide we were calling her? Marcia. I'm just going to call her Marcia because I've been calling her Marcia all my life. Marcia is fine. Marcia shows up fashionably late, uh, talks up Ike, joins our party. There we go. Not much else to say about this map. It's pretty straightforward. The biggest challenge is, are, are you able to save those villages or not? Card was... Ordo. I... Lost a, I lost a unit. <gasps> no! It breaks my heart to say that... I lost Soren. <laughs> oh no! Is... Is the poor baby okay? Not sorry. I even I even put a little I would even put a little smiley face or I'm sorry a frowny face on here. Now he can't get a chance to redeem himself on the battlefield. Goodbye, Soren. You're going to be on the bench anyway, so honestly, I do not care. And how's my Soren? Like my my Soren's okay. My I, I don't have many RNG plus people right now. The only RNG plus person I had in my game was Gotry, and he's not here anymore. Rest in peace, Gotry. Or whatever yeah. he's doing now. Yeah, we'll probably never see him again. Uh, but after we beat this chapter, we managed to make our way to the capital. We get to meet the king of Galia. Ike, in his first act towards the king, says, uh, Hey there. Great job, Ike. Great job. Yeah. Yeah. Our hero, ladies and gentlemen. We learn a little bit of backstory, though. Because apparently the king knew Grail. He used to be a mercenary for Galia, and it turns out... Ike and Mist were born in Galia. He also mentions that Grail must have a dark secret. Eh, probably not. Nothing will come of that, I'm sure. Yeah. Another thing that, that uh, King Canigus... Well, he also introduces you into his... To his shadow? Gifka? Sorry, it's been a little bit since I, since I played, so I'm, I'm, I'm recalling just a couple of things. But yeah, he's like, he's like, oh yeah, this is my dude, Gifka. He's my shadow, but... Uh, don't worry about him. Anyway, let's talk more super special secrets. Uh, one of the things he tells you is that King Ramon and Renning uh, wanted to foster a better relationship between the Lulagoos and the Bjork. And it's right now that I kind of have to say something. So, in the previous chapter of this podcast, episode of this podcast, I said King Ramon. And I realized when I'm listening to this back, 
my wrestling brain clicked on and I was suddenly thinking of Razor Ramon. And so that's why I said King Ramon, like Razor Ramon. I don't know why I did it, but uh, yeah. He's the bad guy. I just went Russian there. Dang it. <laughs> my, my daughter, Alencia, she's going to have it all. She's going to rule everything in my place. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. Because I am King Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> and together, me and Kanigus, we're going to form this new world organization. <laughs> All you humans can stick it. <laughs> uh, but guess he, as a favor to Grail, he's like, "Hey, I'm going to offer you guys a home." But Ike's like, "Screw that! I want to kill people. I want revenge." But they, but Kanigus also says, "Hey, you can't keep Alinsa here because it'll give reason." For Dan to just outright attack us, and it would also bother, I guess, the other nobleman. So Alencia goes, okay, uh, I hire you guys to escort me to Benyong. Yeah, I mean, there's still, I mean, there's still anti-Baroque se- sentiment in Gallia, so yeah, we're going to have to go to Benyon instead. Oh well, I'm, I'm sure this journey over to Benyon is. Just going to be like an easy cutscene or something like that. We're not going to have four chapters of just travel. Oh. Chapter 10. Prisoner release. Well, this is the cutscene where we learn that human is actually a slur. And we should be calling ourselves Bjork. And we also get $20,000. Pretty friggin' sweet. We then get one of my favorite conversations in the game, actually, between Ike and Lethe. We're just have a talk between each other. Just... A conversation about the difference between human and Bjork, and we have a good conversation between Ike and Lethe. That's another name. I have, there are so many names in this game. I have zero idea how to pronounce. So I'm just going to pronounce them how I've said them in my head. Ike and Lethe have a nice little talk. There, Lethe is still really antagonistic towards Ike, but she opens up a little bit, talking about what she hates about Bjork and how she hates their weapons. But then Ike's like, "Hey, use you use a knife. I see that knife right there." But Lethe has a good point. It's like, I'm not going to throw something away just because it's. I disagree with it if I think it's useful. I, I enjoy the Ike and Lethe talks that they have, and they're, they're a good support if, they are, if I ever get to that point with them. I actually had a sort of a generic... Uh, I wrote down the generic conversation that... I'm sorry, the uh, I wrote down the conversation that Ike has with the generic Lagoos. Basically, Ike kind of gets lost in his room. This is before we leave, and... Um, you know, the Lagoos mentions that, you know, it's hard to treat Baroque with kindness as the king asked him to due to their history as, you know, once being slaves. Yeah, totally awkward. And then the other thing, um, way less important, is that Marcia actually joined up with us to find her missing brother. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find him randomly in a couple of chapters. For now, we have to go to Binyon, and to go to Binyon, we have to go north in the opposite direction towards Crimea. Okay, because we need a boat, because I guess they don't have boats in Gallia. But first, we have to stop by a prisoner castle. We're going to break people out of jail, because that's what Ike does. He just sees people in trouble, just charges in head first. All right, that's a good hero. Good for you. But how is he going to get them out? He doesn't have any keys. Oh, hello, randomly showing up thief. Nice to meet you. 
you want us to hire you for 50,000 gold? <laughs> Hell no. But Soren does have the great idea. He's like, wait a second, wait a second before you dismiss this guy. Will you uh, open these? We open these chests? And he's like, 50 gold. Seriously? Or, or, is, is that really how we're going to do? Uh, okay, I guess. Ladies and gentlemen, this is my favorite thief of the series. Like in all of Fire Emblem? All of Fire Emblem. I love this character. Oh, nice. <laughs> love it's a good him. choice. His name is Volk. They call him the Fireman. Why? Well, I can't tell you because he'll he'll charge me. So we have an interesting map before us. We have a we have a jail cell castle. We've got a, about four different cells with different people inside of them, including a treasure, a couple of treasure rooms, and we have roaming guards who you can try. You can actually go through this map without having to battle anyone whatsoever. You can just, if you can manage to avoid the people, you can just free them and exit. That's it, and you get a bunch of bonus XP for it. No, I want, re- I want real experience points. Yeah, that's what. Of course, you want real experience points. Everyone wants real experience points. Considering all the people you kill, you probably get more experience points by doing the battle. So just battle. Yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. This is the GameCube. Our protagonist does have a headband. You do want him to sneak around, but there, this is they say no twin snakes. I'm sorry. I gotta kill some guys. We don't do video recording, but I am actually physically holding a copy of Metal Gear Twin Snakes right now. What? Give it to me. <laughs> no, it's mine. Plus, I only have one disc to it. Our prisoners are as follows. A country girl named Nephany. A country gentleman named Brom. A guy who looks like he's a generic knight named Kyrian. And the funny thing is, is like when you go over to his cell, he's actually wearing a helmet and he looks like a generic guard. But when you recruit him with Oscar, he takes his helmet off. He's like, no, no, I'm not a generic unit after all. I have a name and I have a rival and it is you, Oscar. The funny thing is like, I think he looks the closest to Kane from Fire Emblem 1 that any other like Red Knight does. Well, used used to anyways. Now more modern art kind of depicts him with like red hair. But I mean, this map this map isn't too terribly difficult, and you get you know four units, excuse me, three units out of it. But there's a fourth person that we have to save from the cells. It's another green unit named Sephiron. 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 Sephiroth. Wait, no, wrong game, wrong RPG. Sephiron is. He's not. He looks like a warrior monk or something like that, or a bishop. Looks like he'll join our party, but no, he just sort of stays in his cell the entire time. Whatever, we got him out. We did our thing. We save him. We save Brom, Nephni, Kieran. Kill a bunch of people we didn't need to kill and move on. Chapter eleven. Blood runs red. You'll notice right off the start of this map that uh, for whatever reason, Rainolf's just walking around in a hood. And to be honest, though, I almost did not recognize him. It was such a brilliant disguise. <laughs> oh, we've got to find the perfect design. We've got to find ourselves a disguise. Perfect. <laughs> Soren does have an interesting quote here, and I may have a couple of the lines um, messed up because I took pictures of it, and I think my phone might have rearranged him weirdly, but here's what Soren says. <clears throat> Humans are shameless creatures that carelessly ignore any misfortune which which does not befall them directly. They can, and often do, 
Turn a blind eye to all manner of wickedness so as long as it does not touch them or their kin. They will bow their heads, condemning those victims for bringing calamity and... Oops, sorry, that's part of the line. They will bow their heads, condemning those victims from bringing calamity upon themselves. And then they will cast their eyes towards heaven in thanks while their neighbors lay dying around them. Too real, Soren. <laughs> Too real. Path of Radiance hits a lot different in the year 2020. Let me tell you that. It does. <laughs> oh, this this chapter in particular hits really hard. Because start of this chapter, we get a bunch of racism in the cutscenes. Yeah. Because unfortunately, a boy loses his hood. And as soon as they see them, they immediately freak out. And they just turn on him at a dime. They're literally beating him in a town square. When just minutes before, if you'd gone to the info screen, some random guy would have given you a Laguz Slayer to help protect the town from beasts, from subhumans. Yeah, well, on, on the on the subject of the info tab, we also get like a small little scene here where Alencia gets to see how regular people live their lives as well. Because apparently because she was always basically hidden away in a castle, she never got to see anything like this. I know it doesn't really touch on what we're talking about, but I feel like it kind of gives you a little bit more insight to Lincia, the character. It does in the, oh, this cuts, this chapter. It hits hard. It does, because not only are we fighting the usual Dane suspects, we have to fight random townspeople, though, too, who protect the town from subhumans. We get, they, we got, we're fighting ourselves a hometown militia as well. Oh, boy. And one of these members of the hometown militia we see in the cutscene is some new guy who joined who really wants to meet up with a Lagoos named Zihark. Zihark. If we get a chance to talk to him, maybe we should send a Lagoos to talk to him. But for now, our primary goal is to get to that boat in the top left corner. Because apparently there's a boss, there's also a boss waiting there, but there's also a certain knight who's in this town. But, uh... Da, da. Yeah, the Black Knight is in this town waiting to have a meeting with the boss of this chapter. And uh, if you take too long or if you uh, fight the boss a little early, he's going to come out and kill us all. He just steps right out. He's just like, um, all right, I'm here, I guess. And this and this this boss actually moves this chapter, too. He does. We'll get to that. Among other things that are going on in this town, uh... A bunch of uh, Waven Riders join up, including a, a nasty-looking promoted unit named Har and a young girl named Jill, who are sort of waiting by the entrance. So we can't run away out that way, so we got to run straight for our boat. Oh, boy. And it's a nice boat. It's a very nice boat, piloted by this really nice guy named Nazir with turquoise hair we totally didn't see before. So, yeah. I forgot the aspects of this map. I forgot uh, that if you fight the boss, Black Knight comes out. And I forgot the boss moved in this one. Mainly because I wasn't playing with my official Nintendo-powered Path of Radiance guide because I can't find it. I had some deaths in this one. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Yeah. I, I, I did what I usually do on this map. I split my people up to... Some people can recruit the Ark. Some people can go to the left and the middle left and start talking to people in houses and get all the things we can get out of the houses. And while I was doing getting all the things from the houses, I accidentally got in range of the boss. 
because I didn't know he could move. And then the Black Knight came out of his house, and it became Operation Runaway very quickly. Unfortunately, I could not save everyone, so I had to choose between sacrificing uh, uh, Mordecai, Braum, Kieran, and Ziark. I, I ended up sacrificing Kieran and Ziark, so Braum and Mordecai could live. It was just like two straight turns of like, oh god, run away, run away, run away. Okay, one hit KO, run away, keep running away. Kieran, he just... He never, he never had his chance to fly, much like a character that I have never got a chance to fly, as I had my own death. I lost Marcia. No! I just got Marcia, and now she's dead. How'd you lose Mar- Marcia? I don't remember. It's been, it's, it's been like a month. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was um I think there's bow users. Um in one section I think I got hit by a stray arrow, so ah. Yeah, Marcia's gone. But we do have something interesting that happens towards the end of this map and that's uh Black Knight and Rainolf have a standoff. However, however, Sephron shows up, tells the Black Knight not to pursue the ship and orders his men to withdraw, which is interesting because we just rescued Sephron. He just seemed like an, kind of an unassuming guy. So who is this guy that's ordering the Black Knight of all people down? Lulz, he's the Binion Prime Minister. Yeah. <laughs> he saves the day. He saves Renolf because Renolf couldn't scratch the Black Knight's sacred armor. But And we managed to get away on our ship. But then a little bit more happens. We get to see a little bit more racism in action because there's not enough of that in this chapter. Some citizens sell out all of us to Dane and some archer guy named Norris who looks like a dork with his freckles. And those citizens, uh, because we were helping out the subhumans. So that means that they should do the right thing and turn him into Dane. After all, who cares if it's Dane or Crimea leading us? We don't ever see their faces. It doesn't matter. They're both the same, basically. It doesn't matter who's in charge. Their reward is to be sent to a labor camp for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I was dying. <laughs> I, I just I wrote I wrote this down. I said, I said instead of being rewarded for their loyalty, Norris Norris orders them orders them to be given the hardest of labor, saying that they are vile for selling their own princess out. <laughs> and of course, the townspeople didn't know that Alentia was the princess <laughs> because she's been hidden. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Because that's the that's the thing. Earlier in this map, like I think I want to say it's either Ike and Leith or Ike and Rainoff. Maybe it's Ike and someone else. They're talking there, and they're just like, "Oh no, this that might have been one where the Soren line was." Because they're talking, they're just like, "Okay, a war is happening in their country, and these people are just going on with everyday life like nothing's happening." And so they, um, fortunately, they get to uh, suffer hard labor. Uh, before the chapter ends, we get a. Sneak peek of what's going on with King Ashnar. We get our first real look at him as we learn from him and the Black Knight in a conversation that Gawain is dead. Who's Gawain? No, they killed. Did they? They mistranslated Grail or something like that. Ugh. Man, that's such a dumb mistake by the by them. His, Grail's name was clearly Grail. I, I don't know why this typo. I wrote this typo in here. Probably doesn't matter. But then we also learn that a worm has infiltrated our group. Takumi, Takumi, be quiet. <laughs> I, had to, I had to stop him because he was going to shout betrayal. I just, 
I had to nip in the bud right then and there. But anyways, um, basically they discuss this guy and they also discuss uh, the medallion and Saffron being the prime minister and the invasion of Gallia. So it sounds like even if Alencia wasn't there, they were just going to invade Gallia anyways. Yeah, this just sped it up their plans a little bit. But for now on, we're on a boat. Chapter 12, A Strange Land. So we learn a little bit more about the this world that we're in. We learn about the world of the lagoons. We learn about the beasts in a cutscene with that wonderfully drawn map. We learn about the hawks, the ravens, and the dragons. Turns out we're just traveling along the south coast beside Gallia. We'll be traveling through the islands. We'll reach Binyon. Everything's going to go nice and smooth. Ah, ah, dang it, apparently Nasir found a stowaway. And some green-haired thief kid. I don't feel like throwing you overboard. You're, you're recruited. Fine. Your name's Soth, whatever. You probably don't matter at all in this game or future games. No, I mean, Soth isn't even worth using because he can't promote. He's a level one thief. His stats are so bad. And he, he's locked to those crummy little knives. And it's just like, I have Volk here. There's no reason for me to not use Volk unless I'm actively challenging myself. Or if I'm so strapped on catch, I can't afford to use Volk. <sighs> Welcome to the bench. Yeah, you you don't matter. We'll never see you ever, ever, ever again. One uh, fun little conversation that we had in the info screen we have a Ike has a conversation with Volk where he char he Volk charges a hundred gold to have us eat with him because Mist wants us to eat him to eat with us. <laughs> Did I mention how much I love Volk? Because he's great. Yep, Volk, Volk's great, and Ike wonders maybe whether he should just tell Mist that Volk is dead or not. Yeah, because <laughs> if you ask Volk to do anything, he won't say yes. He won't say no. He'll just say an amount and gold. 100 gold, 10 gold, 50 gold, 50k gold. This is just how boat life is. You have to get along with everyone on the ship. You eat with everyone on the ship. Nothing could possibly go, oh, we're being attacked by pirate ravens. Oh, and we've hit a reef. Pirates? Pirate ravens. Oh. Yeah, enjoy a boat map where you just stand still on a boat and wait for ravens to come to you, because that's what we're doing. There's not much wiggle room on this map. Although, because I will say that there's no wiggle room. I'm going to say, what the heck, Nasir? From the way this map looked, you had to actually try to get us crashed into the shore. I don't know what you're doing, Nasir. Maybe he's not that, maybe the, he's not that great as a boat captain. He's probably not. Anyway, we got pirate ravens. That's, that's the story. That's the story of this map. And, oh, what's that off in the distance? Oh, it's a racist on a dragon. Hi, Jill. Good to see you. <laughs> Couldn't just leave the racism on the shore. No, you, you had to come follow us. Yeah, because she's like, I have to claim a lagoose head. Or a head of a lagoose. It's just like, or she's she's just straight up racist. She's just like, I, I come here to kill a subhuman. And what do I find that you guys ran aground? I can't return home until I do. Despite the fact that Command... In the previous map, it was just like, okay, we're going home. Don't go anywhere. Jill decides on her own. I gotta go kill some lagoos. Yep, and she's like, hey, you guys are being attacked by subhumans. I'm going to join your party and attack them. And Ike's like, what? What? And doesn't matter. She's in your party now. It's kind of funny because Ike's just like, no. No. She's like, mm, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm here. There we go. More, more racism in our party. <laughs> well, listen, you know, we just lost... Shinnon and his red hair and his ponytail 
and his racism, so now we have to get a new redhead with a ponytail and racism. I don't make the rules. I didn't know that was a rule, but okay, I guess we have to follow the rules. We we beat up a bunch of ravens. You can steal stuff from them if you feel like it's probably not worth it. Just try to survive, because these guys can be annoying. Yeah, it's not too hard, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we go ashore, and Ike is met with some dragon lagoos, and... They don't even waste time. Ike takes two steps and is like, Hey guys, and they're just like, Why are you here? Leave. Just go. Turns out one of these dragons who just randomly runs in happens to be the prince of this land, of Goldgoa, whatever the name of this country is. Goldoa. Goldoa. But the prince is actually super happy and helpful and just like, Yeah, we'll help you. No problem. Dragons, go lift up the boat. And then we see a little still shot of three dragons lifting a boat. But Kurthnaga also gives us some supplies as well, since we're running low. Thank you, nice kid. Something that is interesting, though, is like before like Kurthnaga approaches us, we see Nasir run off and hide for some reason. He, he's probably because he's ashamed because he just ran the boat into the shore for seemingly no reason. It's true. He does look like a fool. It'd be super embarrassing. I mean, if Kurthnaga the Dragon Prince came up to me and said... Who ran the boat ashore? And then I would have to point at someone. It would have to be Nasir. And then Nasir would just look like a dummy. And I don't want to embarrass Nasir. Thankfully, let's just move on. We've gotten our traditional Fire Emblem boat chapter out of the way. Let's move on to the last chapter of this section. Chapter 13, A Guiding Wing. Ah, dang it, we're on a boat again. Oh, card was no. No, no, we skipped over something. Oh, what, what did we skip over? I had a death. No! You just said that one was easy. It was easy for me to skip over this. I lost Boyd. No! Not our axe, boy. I hated this one. I hated this one. What'd you do? I think I had him positioned um, one square. I think I miscalculated how many squares to put him away from the raven because he was on low health and I was trying to get him to um, Riss. And I actually put him in or one square too short of Riss and um, just couldn't get away. I guess Titania is going to be have to be your axe user now. But on to chapter 13. This one I don't have notes for. I think uh, I was just so into playing this game, I just completely forgot to take notes. But it's an, it's another boat chapter, so. All right. We st start off in the preparation stream by going to the info tab. Hey, let's talk to Jill. Why are you here and why aren't you a prisoner? Don't really get a good answer. I mean, basically, she's just like, I could, I can't fly away. My dragon will, like, tire out before I get back to shore. So I'll just chill with you guys. Deal with it. Whatever. All right. Sure. You're 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 part of the team now? I, but Ike does give the ultimatum, though. He's just like, you know, you're not going to use any of those terms, subhuman or whatever. Otherwise, you're off this boat. It still doesn't excuse the weird reason why she's here, but sure, whatever. They, they tried. Anyway. Uh, a Binyon envoy arrives, and her her name's Tanith. We have a nice little conversation. Apparently, an apostle, the apostle of Binyon, just went on a she onto a ship and snuck away. Okay, let's chase her down. Or I guess, sure. Happens all the time. On this uh, boat where this apostle is snuck on, we meet a former knight named Astrid, along with some guy in blue arm. Ah. You boy. It's our boy. It's Godfrey. He's back. I missed him so much. Why'd you leave before the defense chapter? This, this is a interesting chapter because 
straight up, you've got to cheese this one for turn one, because if you don't cheese it turn one, stuff is going to go bad immediately. I don't like the design of this chapter because of that. Yeah, so I technically I have a tainted run on this map. So you can recruit Astrid. So you have to get Ike to talk to Astrid and then Astrid to talk to Gatry so Gatry will join back with you guys. So on turn one, I move my I basically move my units as close as I can to Astrid. I'm like, okay, well next turn I'll be able to get to her. No, that doesn't happen. Instead, before I even get a chance to get to her, the computer kills her. I was just like, what? Yeah, Astrid is a squishy bow knight, so if you don't recruit her turn one, there is a very good chance she dies. So, technically, I've got a tainted run, and I reset this one time, because I was like, I, it didn't feel fair to me. Yeah, it, it, it's not a fair turn one. This is You have to actively know that you need to prepare to recruit her turn one. Yeah, so I did a better job this time because, I mean, if Astrid's going to die, it's going to be by my hand, not by some random chance that I never even got to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is why on turn two, I lost Astrid. Out, outside of that screwy turn one, it's standard boat map. You got your boat, a boat in the middle, boat at the far end. Boat at the far end has three entryways. Block them off with your defense people and just charge forth. There are a ton of treasure chests to open. But you've got plenty of time to open them with Volk or Soth. <laughs> or wait for the Ravens to open it up, then kill the Ravens for the experience. Because they'll, like, I want to say it's on right around turn 5 or turn 7 where Kit, where um, Nasala, who's the... King of the Ravens, yeah. Man, that is, that's, that is a cool title. King of the Ravens. I love his design. Like, when I, the first time I played this game, I was just like, you are my favorite character, Nasala. I hope I don't have to kill you. So yeah, basically the Ravens, when they come on board, they'll actually ignore you and go straight for the treasure chests. And when they waste their turn going for the treasure chest, you then kill them. So you get the experience and you get whatever treasures that they had on them. At first, you probably think that they're going to attack you because King Dasala is helping out dorky Dan Norris guy. He's just like, yeah, I'm here to help you out if you pay me like triple what I was charging you before. And then a bunch of Ravens come and it just seems like, Am I going to have to fight Ravens? No, they they don't bother with you. They don't care about you. They just want money. Oh, greedy, greedy Ravens. Thank you, King Nasala. Thank you for being a jerk. Yeah, I mean, other than Gatcher joining my team and me losing Astrid for real this time. Um, but, but, I, what? Again? You lost her again? Yeah, I said that before. You, uh, you said you'd lose her by your hand, but I, don't, I didn't think you meant that you actually lost her by your hand. Again. Yeah. Uh, but we got Gatry. I've had a death on every single map. <laughs> Luckily, I, I only had those two that I said earlier. So We got a little bit more story context that happens about halfway through the map. Off in the distance, we see a cutscene of King Tiburn and... Ulki? And I forget what the other one is. Ulki's the one with the brown hair. Yeah, it's Ulki and uh, Janoff, I believe. My autocorrect has corrected it to... Uh, King uh, King Tibarn with Luke and January. <laughs> so Luke and January are off in the distance. One of them has super special, he- super special, amazing, awesome hearing. One has super special, amazing, awesome eyesight. So they're sort of giving him the lowdown on how the battle's going. And kind of spoilers for later, none of them can see in the dark. But managed to beat this chapter with little problems outside of 
the ter- dealing with keeping Astrid alive. And part of the reason this is no problem is because the boss doesn't move and the boss is an archer with, <laughs> so. Oh, I boxed him in. Oh yeah, you box him in. You, you torture him. He's a jerk. You send him to a hard labor camp of getting chipped away by Soth. Oh, I don't know. It seems like it's a hard labor for me. But this is, <laughs> but it is a defense chapter, so you have a limited, I think it's like 10 turns. You've got plenty of time to clear everyone out. It's not a difficult one. Once you beat, beat the chapter, uh, we've got to find the apostle. Uh, I can Sorn have a little bit of conversation where Ike goes, dude, you're super blunt. Stop it. You're being an a-hole to everyone. You're making everyone hate us. Stop it, dude. So as it turns out, we find this sassy lost child. (laughs) And this sassy lost child turns out to be the apostle. Yeah, and Ike's is just like, you're you're injured child. I'm going to treat you like a child. Come here. I'll put a band-aid on you. Uh, If I have to, I'll kiss it to make it better. Come on. Piggyback ride. We let's go. And for some reason, the Apostle of Vinyon does not take too kindly to being treated like this. I can't imagine why. <laughs> she reveals she's the Apostle, and that's pretty much how the chapter ends. Ah, things are things are starting to pick up. Yep, and for the next section, I think we'll pretty much go through the bulk of the Binyon saga. We're, we're, not, we're only going to do a few chapters. We're only going to go chapter 14 through chapter 17. It's not that much. <laughs> We're now outside of what I what I remember about the game, so I'm sure I'm going to have another death or two on the upcoming maps. For those who don't know or don't remember, Chapter 17 is a four-part map. <laughs> what? No. We've got seven, to, seven more battles before next time. And that will do it for today. As always, you can follow us at KD Corley, at PlanOrdo, and at Emblem Supports. With all that said, chapter complete.